Amen. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen and destined by God the Father and sanctified by the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be yours in abundance. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, even if now for a little while you have had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that though perishable is tested by fire may be found to result in praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed although you have not seen him you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Every autumn, as the leaves begin to change colors of red and orange and yellow, there is a ritual that takes place across this land from north to south, from east to west, in small towns and great large cities. There is a ritual we know as homecoming. Now, you will remember that homecoming is about football games and marching bands, but really at the heart of homecoming is this idea that it is an opportunity for alumni to return to their alma mater. And so we have those 10-year and 25-year and 50-year class reunions. And whether or not you've actually attended one, you know how they go. Did you show up at the gymnasium or the cafeteria or whatever the space is that's been decorated for this great class reunion? And you look around and you don't really see anyone you think you know. And then, then you realize, hey, there he is, Biff. The, the prom king, the, the, the captain of the football team. Only he's put on 80 pounds and he's lost 
most of his teeth and a lot of his hair. He's not quite the guy you remembered. I mean, the guy who who had more crushes than than WWE wrestling. You see, you look around the room, and there he is. You remember that little geeky guy who was a brainiac in his Armani suit uh, because he's now the CEO of a multi-million dollar corporation. Our memories don't seem to match the reality that is before us. Everybody seems to have changed. We forget sometimes that we have changed. There's a reason that we say, you can't go home again because you try and go home and you're different and everybody else is different. When I was starting high school, my family was living in Littleton, Colorado. And my brother and sister had gone to high school at Bear Creek High, but as I got to the ninth grade, they opened a brand new high school just a mile or so from where we lived. The high school was Columbine. Yes, that Columbine. So it was some 20, 22 years after I had been at the high school that I was living in Atlanta when that great tragedy of the shooting occurred. And as I watched the news reports coming in, I found myself saying, wait a minute, that's not where the cafeteria was. Wait a minute, what's, what's that door? Only to find out eventually that they had remodeled the building at some point after I had left. The building was not the building I remembered. There is a reason we say you can't go home again because buildings and things change. Nothing in this life remains the same. And in fact, this is the source of one of the basic problems of our human existence, this idea that we want things to remain the same, that we want to hold on to what we've got, that we're afraid of change, that we're afraid that we'll lose something, that we have these wonderful memories, and, and if we change, we're going to lose everything that matters to us. But of course, when we try and control and we try and make things according to the way we want them to be, we are sure to be disappointed. We are sure to create the more suffering for ourselves because there is nothing in this world that stays the same. Now, I don't want us to think that we bring suffering upon ourselves. As, as Peter is trying to tell us, there is a lot of suffering that comes to us in this world. But we have this propensity to add to our suffering because we're so busy trying to control and make things be the way we want them to be. It is a problem. 
when we try and control, we try and place our hope in the things of our own making, we are more likely to end up in despair than we are to end up in hope. And that's where Peter basically gives us this antidote. Peter tries to show us the way that leads us to live in a living hope. A living hope. Not the kind of hope that comes from trying to control and manhandle the world, but a hope that comes only in and through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has overcome the world. The tomb is still empty, and it is there in that tomb that we find a living hope. Only God is eternal and unchanging. All of the things of this world are impermanent. All of the things of this world decay and rust. Jesus tells us, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth because they do not last. Hope is in God. God alone. Now, Peter is going to show us what it means to have this living hope. And one of the most interesting things is actually that he begins this letter by saying to the exiles in all these different places in Asia Minor. Now, he's writing to a group of Gentile churches. Someone would have taken this letter and gone from church to church over a period of weeks, months, and read this letter to them. But the interesting thing is this word exile. Now, if you have your Bible, you might find that it's translated sojourner or even stranger because the Greek word here is peripedemos, which means basically a temporary resident in a foreign place. You see, we are on this journey. We are sojourners on the earth. None of these Christians who he's writing to were ever in a physical exile. Their exile is that they are strangers and sojourners on this earth. This earth is not their home. Their home lies in the living God. And we are journeying through this earth, seeking our home in God. You know, the one who said it best was St. Augustine, or Augustine, depending on how you like to pronounce it, who was a bishop of the early church. And he said, our hearts are restless until they rest in God. We will never have our home on this earth. We must understand that we are journeying through this world and seeking to make our home in God. Peter says, listen, 
if you are sojourners on this earth, if you're on a journey, and you want to journey with this living hope in spite of this world and all the sufferings and all its impermanency and the fears and anxieties we have, if we want to instead live by hope, there are two things that we need. And the first one, he says, is we've got to trust in God. We have to have faith and confidence in who God is, in what Jesus Christ has done. And, you know, it goes against everything that the world tells us. Because faith is to go and to believe and to Trust in God despite not having the physical evidence or the road map laid out before us. I think of it like this. You know, if we called Gary and Anita Thompson and we said, listen, I want to go on a great trip. Uh, I want it to last three weeks, a month. You know, I want it to be a good long trip. But, but here's the thing. You know, take me to amazing places. Show me amazing sights. But I don't want to know anything about it. I don't want to know where, where we're going to go. I don't want to know what I'm going to see. We won't know whether to pack a, 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 a swimsuit or, or muckluck. We, we just got to be prepared for whatever comes. But you know what? I would go on that trip because I know Gary and Anita, and I trust that they would give me an amazing experience, and it would be a great trip, even though I didn't know a thing about where we were going to go or what we would see. Well, how much more so with the living God? I mean, you know, here Peter says, you, you haven't seen him, but you know him. You love him. God loves us, and we know the love of God in our lives, we must trust and have that confidence that God is going to lead us and show us amazing things. Our faith is in God, not in what we can do and manufacture to try and give us a false sense of security and stability. Faith, trust, God. But then Peter says, hey, you know what? That goes hand in hand with obedience. Now, I think obedience is just a fancy word for action, for serving, for moving, for doing what God wants us to do. And the problem is our human will oftentimes says, I know I should, but nah, I don't think so. You know, it's pretty easy to get up on a Sunday morning and turn on the computer and watch the live stream. But... But some mornings you're like, you know what? It's Sunday morning and I just want to stay in bed. I don't feel like turning on the worship service. Or some days we're like, I don't feel like reading the Bible or doing my devotional. Oh, yeah, we know we should if we want to stay connected to God. But a lot of times we just simply don't do what we're supposed to do. And when we do what God wants us to do, it's going to take us to new places and ask us to do new things, and things are inevitably going to be different. They're going to change. But you know, 
We're followers of Jesus Christ. It means we go and we do. We're not sitters of Jesus Christ or stander arounders of Jesus Christ. We're followers. Go. Now, listen, you know, a, a year and a half ago or whenever it was in the summer when we had two services and we decided we would go to one service. Well, when we did that, you know, there was this handful of people. I don't like it. It's at the wrong time. The music is all wrong. It's not what I want. I want, we need to go back. But most of our village said something like, well, there are some things that don't suit me, but you know what? There's a greater good here. And the greater good is the unity of the body of Christ. The greater good is the people gathering together. The greater good is the way the Spirit is multiplied. Okay, let's set aside some of our own wanting to control this and let God lead us to a new place. That obedience to go where God is, is sending us. Well, you know what? When we hit a pandemic that not one of us could have predicted, by having already learned how to do a blended service, it made going online so much smoother. God was paving the way, and we were obedient to that direction. You see, when we have faith, when we have obedience, it creates this living hope. Faith is like our GPS, our our God positioning system that we set on the destination of God and it's showing us, okay, here's the way you have to go, but then obedience is actually getting in our little vehicle and going. And we've got, you can set the GPS, but if you don't drive the car, you're not going to get That is what produces in us a living hope. It is what shows us that our home is in God and keeps us buoyed and lifted and energized and connected to the love of God that sustains us and carries us through anything and everything. You know, in sometime, one of these days, we're, we're going to reopen this building, and we're going to go back to having time together and activities and enjoying each other's company. I, I don't think it's yet, because right now Oklahoma is still like fifth in the nation in new cases. Uh, we are still officially in the red category, which means uncontrolled infections, although we're going down. So that may change. We only have 11% of Oklahomans who have received at least their first vaccine. There are these new variants that are more contagious. There are all these factors out there that still make our journey back to this place more difficult. But come summer or fall, the building will be open again. But you know, it won't be the same. It's not like we flash froze the village a year ago and everything is going to be just as it was when we left. 
The people aren't going to be the same. We won't have Lynn Sherrick. We won't have Jeff Mars. We cannot bring them back into our village, and we will not be the same people who left this space a year ago. We will not be able to return home just as we are. And I have to say, the building isn't going to be exactly the same place you left. We're going to have new lighting in the sanctuary, and I know there'll be those who don't like it and those who do. We have repainted the uh, lobby. There'll be those who like it and those who don't. We have a new mail slot. We have not stood still. And yet, if Peter is right, you see, it isn't about our ability to control and keep things the same. It's not placing our faith and hope in the church even, in the living God. And so it is, Peter concludes by telling us, hey, it's time for you to live a holy life. You exiles, you sojourners on this earth, as Lent approaches, now is the time to draw nearer to God. Now is the time to deepen your faith. Now is the time to strengthen your obedience. And what will result is a living hope. That hope in the resurrection of Jesus Christ to life, a hope that tells us our home is in God, eternal, unperishable, perfect in love. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.